Hello everyone, it's Corporal Betts, your wellness officer, and this is the first episode of the Anne Arundel County Police Department's Wellness Program Podcast. Each week, we bring on members of our department to tackle one or more of our five pillars of wellness. In this episode, I am joined by Sergeant Stephen Almendares, and we will be discussing psychological well-being, which will include professional development, promotion, and injury recovery. We will also touch on financial well-being in regards to being out on injury. Sarge, I thank you for coming on for the first episode. There are many reasons why I wanted you to come on, and one reason is because you've been in so many different units in our apartment. Can you give us a rundown of your career and all the units you've been in? Um, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, Well, I started in Southern One. I came as a a comparative compliance lateral officer from the United States Capitol Police. Prior to that, I worked as an NYPD auxiliary officer at the age of 16. Um, I joined the Marine Corps, and during my tenure at Capitol Police, I was also in the National Guard. Came down around in 07, started in Southern Shift 1, where I'm currently the supervisor as well. So it kind of came full circle. Uh, had the opportunities of working in TPU down in Southern. Uh, got transferred to the intelligence unit at the time. Was sworn in as a task force officer with uh, the Federal Homeland Security um, Agency. I've worked uh, as a QRT decentralized for seven years. Academy instructor. Been Did multiple TDYs here and there between homicide and other units. Uh, work recruitment, um, gang task force, and, and I was an ad hoc community relations officer for the Hispanic Latino community, and I'm probably missing one or two things, but uh, all in all, you know, it's a diverse career. Yeah, you've been pretty much everywhere. You think, it, think it's almost easier for you to say what units you have not been in. <laughs> I will. SRO. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I haven't been CIT. SRO. CIT. Well, I'm CIT trained, and I have not worked for uh, um, internal affairs or staff inspections or those uh, administrative type positions. So what would you say was your favorite unit? So that's very difficult question to ask. Um yeah. I, I was of the of the idea when I first came to Anne Arundel County that I just wanted to be a patrolman. You know, I wanted to be a career corporal. I didn't want to do anything but patrol. And I know many people have that same mentality when they came here, when they come here. Um, and, we, and it was uh, kind of difficult for me adapting because Anne Arundel County is uh, there's a lot of uh, gener- generational officers here. You know, uncles, fathers, cousins, and, you know, people that went to school together. And I'm and I'm an outsider, so I came in here blind, um, which was very intimidating at first. Um, but thankfully, you know, like all our officers, who had the opportunity to um, try various units. And I'd have to say though. You know, I'm a knuckle dragger. You know, I, I love being on QRT decentralized, being able to work multiple units. I love the training. It's, you know, high speed, low drag. We have a great team here that provides outstanding uh, training um, to both the full time and the QR and the decentralized guys. But uh, during my, uh, I guess you could say, maturity <laughs> as an officer and just life experiences, I realized the different uh, opportunities and ways officers serve. And uh, when I was in recruitment, I became an ad hoc. And I say ad hoc because I kind of took it upon myself at the time to be a, uh, a community officer or a liaison to the Hispanic Latino community. And uh, I was able to institute a program called Bridging the Gaps. And that program really stood out for me. And I loved it because what it did was allow all of our officers from all ethnicities and you know ways of life to 
understand the, our Hispanic Latino community that we serve in Anne Arundel County and the Hispanic Latino officers on the department. And for a week, they learned Spanish, they immersed themselves in the Hispanic Latino culture. And, and it really hit me personally as a minority, as a Hispanic Latino officer, um, that the officers desired to want to get to know that side of their community and the officers. Uh, so I know we're supposed to be all tough and whatnot, but it was, it was kind of special. <laughs> so I really, really enjoyed that portion and that part of my career in recruitment and, and finding, trying to find some of the best applicants, you know, on the department, you know, it, it, it's, it's a big tasking when you're in recruitment and an academy instructor like yourself, where, you know, you have to ask yourself constantly is, did I, did I get it right? You know, because uh, you're providing the future and officers that are going to be working side by side with your brothers and sisters, you know. So it was always a constant battle of I hope I got it right. I hope I got it right. I hope I got it right. So I don't know if I answered your question. It might be my ADD kicking in, but that's okay. But you made some great points. You have so many opportunities in this department, and if you go the extra mile, doors can kind of open up for different positions. So for anyone that wants to get into a specialized unit, what would you say to them? What kind of advice would you give that would help them get into one? So, so again, I, it's kind of a sub, subjective question, you know, because you're going to hear veteran officers tell you one in a million things. You know, you have to do this or you have to do that or it's who you know. Um, I didn't know anybody and I had plenty of opportunity. Um, so I would say, especially now as a supervisor, is be a good patrol officer. You know, that's what I was told. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to one of my mentors, Big Country Down South, who I have the opportunity of working with now, um, Sergeant Hughes. Um, he kind of took me under his wing and taught me a lot of the things as far as being a patrol officer and a narcotics officer. And you really have to understand the community you're serving from the most basic level, which is patrol. And patrol is not basic. We all know that. It's very intricate, very complicated because you're going to all these different calls and you have to interpret the law and, you know, uh, and, and solve 30 years worth of problems in 30 seconds, et cetera. Um, but once you have that down packed, it's very easy to become a detective or work in other units. You know, I saw it uh, in when I had the opportunity to work with QRT, you know, they looked upon the decentralized guys who were working the street because they were in, in and out of these houses on a regular basis. So when they needed intelligence, they sought it from the very officers that work there. It's the same thing with other specialized units. You know, when you're really immersed as a patrol officer in your community, you know everyone, you know everything. So it just makes your job a lot easier when you're in a specialized unit. So if I have to say anything is master or at least try to master or be very good at being a patrol officer, get to know as many people as you can in the community and businesses, because those are the people that are going to help you out in the long run. So kind of just being around different people and meeting other people in apartment and community leaders, things like that is going to help you go a long way. But what about training? Is there certain trainings people should go for? I say take it all. Uh, whatever's available. I pushed my officers to go to training um, in Eastern. It was kind of my mantra. I would set timelines. I said within the next three months or six months, I expect two classes, et cetera, um, because you can't never get enough knowledge. I don't believe in the term expert at all. You know, everything evolves, everything changes. And as as we see as law enforcement officers, we have to change and evolve with it. So Whatever training you can get, even if it's training you're not interested in, I always say do it because you never know when you're going to come across it. 
You know, I never had a desire to work traffic safety. There's one more unit I never worked in. Um, and I don't want to do it now. Very important, very intricate unit, you know, when it comes to accident reconstruction, et cetera. But I don't have a desire to do that. But I took training in it, so I understand it. So when I have to respond to a call, whether it was as a patrol officer or a supervisor, I have the basic knowledge of it so I can at least address the problem until the specialized units get there. So yes, you can focus on specific areas that interest you, but I say diversify yourself because you never know what opportunities are gonna open up. Um, and a good example of that for me was when I worked on the federal task force, I was assigned to a document and benefit fraud task force, which doesn't sound very you know, exciting at first, but I was doing undercover buys with you know, gangs that were tied to cartels for illegal documents to get into the country and get on federal installations. And that turned, into working deep undercover for you know the feds. And I was literally working with the Department of Agriculture on one end, the DEA, FBI on the other. So I really got to learn so many different things and realize it's important to diversify yourself in many different areas so that when you do come across them, you're not stumped. You know, you can at least address the situation um, in, in the preliminary until other resources can come. So there you go, start putting in for training. If you don't get it the first time, keep trying to keep at it. We always want to get better, right? It's great for professional development. So how about getting promoted? So it seemed like you had a great time in all these different units. When did you know you wanted to become a supervisor? What sort of led up to that? So I was, uh, I had the opportunity and the pleasure of being a Sergeant in the United States Marine Corps and the U S army, Maryland national guard. Um, and, Sometimes leadership can come naturally. Sometimes it does not. You can mold leaders. You can grow them. I did have good mentors between the military. Um, growing up, I didn't have that mentorship, um, but I knew what I wanted, if that makes any sense. Um, my upbringing, and I'll, I'll call the chief out on this because she was so gracious to share her background. It's anonymous to hers. I grew up in a very poor neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I didn't trust the police. You know, There was really no resources or help. So I knew what was lacking and I knew what I wanted. And my desire when I became a police officer was to be the police officer that was not present there in my community. And that's what drove me. And that same drive is what drove my uh, leadership. You know, granted in the Marine Corps, I had to go to leadership courses, same thing in the army, but combined with the mentality that I had before kind of helped develop me into what I am now. Um, and. I love being a leader. Uh, like I said, my initial goal is to be a career corporal, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I respect my senior officers, even as a supervisor. I still look up to my senior corporals, ask them questions, and rely on them sometimes, and give them that respect because they earned it, you know. And uh, I, I realized in my time and development as a person and as an officer that becoming a supervisor is a matter of sacrifice. And unfortunately, I experienced enough. I don't want to use the word bad, but supervisors that did not meet the expectations that I was expecting in a supervisor and a leader. So it drove me to become one so that I can help other officers, mentor them and grow them. And that was my motivation to do so. Um, my, my belief in becoming a supervisor is a matter of sacrifice. Um, at that point, I my goal should, see, should be to see others succeed. You know, as I always say, as a martial arts instructor, the student should always surpass the master. If they do not, then I didn't do my job. So if my officers aren't getting promoted, if they're not getting a specialized unit, then I need to check myself and reevaluate myself and see what I'm doing wrong, which is something I did when I was on Eastern Midnights on my own volition. I would have my officers evaluate me. You know, sergeants 
you know, it, it's not required. It's, you know, we get evaluated by our lieutenants. But me personally, I wanted my officers to evaluate me and tell me how I was doing because I need to meet their needs. You know, there's no need to be met for me. I'm the sergeant now. I, I got to that point. But now I want to see them get promoted. I want to see them get in specialized units. And I need to know how to do that for them. And every officer is different. And it's very important as a supervisor to understand each and every officer's needs, concerns, fears, et cetera, and weaknesses and strengths. And just try to mentor them, grow them, and take advantages of the strengths and supplement those weaknesses. It's a big burden to take on as a supervisor. Not every supervisor wants to do that. You know, they might just want to check the boxes. I'm not here to criticize that. You know, everyone's different. I know myself. That's the supervisor I strive to be, and I hope I can continue to be that. But I can only be that way with the help of my officers. Sure. No, that's great. Mentoring is, is huge. I'm talking to younger officers. I'm always asking them, you know, what kind of units do you want to be in one day? And when I'm teaching the recruits. I love to ask them, how many want to be a supervisor one day? The majority <laughs> don't put up their hands, which I find very interesting. I've always, at some point, I would like to think I'll, I'll be a supervisor. But again, I love what I do. Um, I'd be happy to go back to patrol. Yeah. I love being at the academy. It's just we have so many things that we can do in this department. That I, I will add, though, for these future younger, for the younger generation of police officers when they're thinking about promotion, one of the first things I said within my first six months of being a sergeant was why I didn't do this sooner. And I love being a sergeant and I can't wait to learn more as a sergeant and hopefully one day become a lieutenant and keep growing. So sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, I like it. <laughs> I wasn't sure I was going with that one. So you were promoted. Did you go right to Eastern Midnights? Eastern Midnights, yes. And then kick it, kicking and screaming. Well, that's where you got injured. Yes. In June of 2019. Well, I had multiple injuries. Multiple injuries. <laughs> we'll start with the one that happened in June 2019. So I didn't even know. That occurred until February of 2020. So yeah. What, what happened? Well, so first and foremost, unfortunately, we do have many injured officers sometimes. You know, it's a large department, even though the, uh, comparatively to other agencies, we may look small. We're large. You know, we can walk around different districts, see officers that we have no clue who they are. Um, so unfortunately, sometimes when officers get injured, we don't know it, you know, Um for me, it was a, a culmination of injuries. I had a car accident. Uh, I had injuries in other units, so they kind of caught up to each other. Uh, June of 2019, I was helping uh, subdue a, uh, a patient for an emergency evaluation, kind of strong, and I ended up basically tipping. It was a tipping point for a significant back injury, a knee injury that essentially paralyzed me for a few months, couldn't walk. Um, pretty debilitated, had to get two major surgeries on my knee and my back. Um, and it really changed me mentally. It really affected me. I was very eager at the time. I had a great lieutenant, great sergeants, and a great shift period. Um, and I was really, really, you know, just getting the groove of being a sergeant, helping these officers, growing them. You know, I was seeing the results of officers getting promoted and getting into specialized units. And just like that, it was taken away from me. So um, it really, really affected me. Sure, I can imagine. So answering my question already sort of what was your mindset because you're possibly getting medically retired yes so that was uh that was a new revelation for me i uh i basically uh, you know 
due to my injuries, although they said they were recoverable, the, the process of getting the surgeries and the recovery itself was going to be lengthy. Um, and then the different interactions I had with uh, county medical personnel basically were telling me that you're probably not going to be able to come back to full duty. Um, that put me on a downward spiral. You know, it, it I went through a pretty serious depression that affected, you know, my home life. Um, cause I was sedentary at that point now too. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't walk. I had a, a newborn baby in the house. Um, so it really, really affected us and not just in a family standpoint and a social standpoint, financially, I wasn't working anymore, you know, and, and it's difficult because you almost feel like you're forgotten by the department. And, and I hate to say that, and you're not, you're not, but in my mind, because you're in your own isolated little, little world, you know, you know, they take your car away, you know, they take certain equipment away and they obviously they're taking it because they need it for other officers. And rightly so, you know, we have to have put those resources where they're going to be used best. But me personally, in my mind, I wasn't thinking that I was thinking selfishly. You know, I was thinking I'm still in that or in the county police officer. And now you're stripping me away of everything that defines me as a police officer. So it further put me on a downward spiral. Um, and, and that lasted for quite some time. You know, I, I sought counsel and other officers and thankfully my own officers kept reaching out to me and cheering me up and encouraging me. And, and that kind of kept me healthy and balanced. And as soon as I was able to start working out again, the physical therapy, et cetera, and again, brought me back up, which is, you know, as you say, with the wellness, you know, it's very important to stay physically fit. You know, it, it directly affects the mind. Um, but it did affect me significantly to the point where I almost became um, indifferent. At that point, I was like, you know what? I guess I'm never going to be a cop again. Um, here I go. I'm going to retire. You know, we're making preparations and trying to figure out financials, like how are we going to do this? Do I, do, does my wife need to work? Do I need to continue working? What can I do with my current disabilities, et cetera? And then I kind of got to a point where I had to convince myself, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. They told me I wasn't going to be able to walk in so much amount of time, but I did it before then. They told me I wasn't going to be able to jog, but I did it before then. So I started setting these kind of marks and reaching them. And when I realized that I could reach them and surpass them, then it was kind of like, okay, maybe I can do this job. You know, maybe they're wrong. And unbeknownst to me, I guess the county doctor was thinking along the same lines. I was brought back on light duty. Still wasn't, you know, 100%, still not 100% now, but he felt I was good to go back to work. And I came back to patrol and it was almost like what I needed mentally and physically because it made me push myself even further, almost because I can't fail now because I have officers depending on me, you know, and my side sergeant depending on me and my family depending on me to stay healthy and, and not get hurt. Um, so it, it came full circle. It, it was interesting. And and officers need to realize that when you get hurt, you, you are it's going to affect you emotionally. You know, I know I'm not the first one. Um, I did have to seek counseling for it, you know, and, and talk through it. But uh, I, I went into some deep, dark depressions because basically everything that I knew, everything that I loved was slowly being taken away from me. And it's all I've ever wanted to do. It's all I ever knew. But thankfully, thank the Lord, I'm, I'm here now. So. Yeah, that's how you get injured. talking about wellness and that's physically you're, you're unwell you can't do the things you like to do you can't work out and you can't go to work being a police officer which is a huge part mm -hmm. of our identity so that's being taken away so it's it's hard to prepare for that is there any advice you can give on how to prepare for that as far as wellness goes and it's hard to prepare psychologically other than maybe 
talking about re resilience, you know, picking yourself up. There's no way to prepare for injury. <laughs> yeah. I hope nobody ever has to endure significant injuries. And I think any officer that has endured those, you know, whether it was off duty or on duty, sometimes off duty injuries that incapacitate you are even more scarier because, you know, that's the key key term there. Did it happen on duty? You know, um, are, are, is the county going to take care of you, et cetera? And, you know, we, we have this mantra, you're just a number, you know, they'll write you off. Uh, and, and administratively, you know, that might be so. But as an institution and as a family, that's not true. You know, I had a lot of people reaching out to me and making sure I was staying focused and, you know, are you coming back or you're not? So I would say is just stay in touch with your police family, you know, set goals, set plans, know that you're going to have, you know, uh, uh, emotional changes, you know, and physical changes and just be prepared to adapt to them. You know, I, I can no longer do certain activities recreationally that I love to do, but I found new ones that I could do, you know, so it's just a matter of adapting and overcoming. And that's what police officers are good at. So for sure. And you have a huge family. So it's reach out to someone if you need someone to talk to. There's Absolutely. People that support you, especially if you're going out on injury, it might not be in direct contact with you, but we're definitely thinking about you and praying for you. But as far as financially, did you have to make any financial changes when you were out on light duty or completely out on injury? Well, thankfully, when you're injured on duty, workers' comp kind of supplements. But yes, you're not working overtime anymore. You're not working secondary anymore. You don't have your take-home car anymore. So you do have to make changes and prepare for that. Um, and again, that that comes with you know, if you're married or, or have a significant other, you know, working together and, and setting goals and being realistic. You know, we always say, you know, I have to have cable, but do we really? You know, I, I, I keep it, it. It's very hard to define your needs and your wants, because sometimes we say we need the things we want. So and, and I have this uh, argument all the time with my sister. Um, but I always say if it doesn't fill my belly and fill my lungs and put clothes on my back, I don't need it. You know, so it, it came down to basically just being very strict with my finances and focusing on the things that we needed for our family, you know, and the once came second and we still had, you know, we still went out, we still took trips, et cetera, when we could, it just wasn't as often as before, you know, and now that I'm back, we can reestablish, you know, our, the financial goals we had before and, and the goals we had before. Yeah, that's great. You didn't have to really make any huge changes, but I'm sure there's, for some of us that, again, you can't prepare for going out on light duty, especially if you're just a one-income household. My wife works part-time. The thing I've been doing is just building up a, a savings that I can access. A lot of us put yes. a lot towards retirement, but you sort of need to build that wealth. What can you access? Especially now, I mean, we're lucky that we all have jobs right now. With this of COVID, so many people have lost their jobs and have been out of work and aren't getting that paycheck. So it's very important to build up those accounts if you can't put money away what do you need you know absolutely you need absolutely so as as far as people finding themselves in these situations any other advice you can give to anyone that has to come back from injury yeah uh, take advantage of the resources you know our department is is, is you know growing progressively and you know we have the peer counseling we have cit there's there's people out there to reach out to you know the, the officers you work with whoever you can reach out to just to stay connected and that, i think that was the biggest thing for me is that connection you know because for a while and i was probably 
convincing myself of this, I felt that connection was severed and I was forgotten, you know, because it was just a matter of, hey, you have to turn in your car. Hey, you have to turn in this piece of equipment. You have to turn in that. And, you know, with the idea that I was already getting medically retired, I just I forced myself to get detached so that wouldn't hurt as much, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And then uh, when when I realized there were people wanting me to come back, you know, and, but I wasn't actively reaching out to them. And thankfully, you know, my, my brothers and sisters, you know, they didn't let me go. They reached out to me and kept that connection. And that's what forced me to come back and, okay, I need to stay connected and, and, and overcome this. That's great. I mean, we're happy to have you back. Southern One is a great shift. I know them very well. They come and work out. All right, last question. What do you like about the wellness program? Anything you've seen come out on? I think this program has huge potential. Um, I see it growing to something bigger than what it is. I think it's needed. Um, and I can't wait to see more officers get involved with it. I love that you reach out and do things like this. I hope to see other officers sitting in the same seat I am, openly talking about their experiences. Um, my kids loved going on a ruck. <laughs> um, and uh, I hope to be a part of that program as well and teaching some fitness classes in the future or whatever it may be. So I think it's needed and I want to see it grow. And if it doesn't grow, hopefully I'll get promoted and I'll make it grow. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great, Sarge. I'd like to thank Sarge Almendares for coming on the first episode. I'd like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. We want to keep this going with the new podcast at least every month, but I'm hoping it becomes a weekly podcast. That means I need your help. If you have any interest in coming on to talk about wellness, then reach out to me, Corporal Betts, or to policewellness at aacounty.org. I want everyone to have the opportunity to come on and share their experiences, any stories, or even as simple as what do you do off duty. Until next time, stay safe and stay well.